Welcome to Walking in Faith, a weekly podcast dedicated to examining the Bible to help lifelong seekers of the kingdom of God expand their faith and understanding by exploring God's Word. Now let's join Randy Franz as he shares this week's message. Working for Heaven. That's the title of the message today. And I'm sure when you see working in the title, you're starting to wonder a little bit, where is this going? Working for heaven, working to get to heaven. Well, it's not titled working to get to heaven or working toward heaven. It's working for heaven. It's on purpose. When you go to work for someone, you're already there. You're not working to it. You're working for them. So keep that in mind as we go through today. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I love this verse. Love it. Because it's the gospel boiled down to its essence. In 21 words, we have an amazingly clear picture of our standing before God, of his wrath towards sin, poured out promised for sin, God's perfect grace and mercy, and the means of salvation. And among these 21 words, I want to focus just for the moment on just one, which is free. Eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord is free. Our salvation is not secured by our works, by working, our good deeds, or our effort, or doing enough so-called good things, or being good enough. We, we, we can't earn enough points to make it into the postseason of eternity, to use a sports analogy. There's no way we could ever do enough. I and everyone else falls short, which is clear according to Scripture. Even our best efforts are as filthy rags in the sight of God as far as earning salvation. We know that God did all that was necessary in the sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus to save us from the wrath to come for our sin and to give us new life. And he offers this to us as what? As a free gift. Well, it's free to us. It's not free. It was not free to him. It was, he paid a very costly price. But to us, salvation is a, a gift-wrapped present with our name on it. And this is clearly understood in many passages in the Bible. One of the most familiar is Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith... And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Or we have Titus 3, 4, and 5. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of our works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. And many, many, many more tell us the same thing. This is the amazing grace of our Savior. We've been set free from the bondage of sin and death. It's called bondage. We're set free from the the system of the endless animal sacrifices that brought temporary covering for sin in the Old Testament. We're set free from, frankly, from the anxiety of religion, a religion that asks you to do constant performance or to appease God if there's religion that does that. We're set free from that by Christ. We're set free from 
trying to tilt the scoreboard in my favor to understand whether I've done enough, more good than bad, so that when I stand before God, he'll let me in. We're free from all that. And why? Because God cut through it all with, just simply with the gospel. He died the death we deserve. He rose again to new life. And he offers this new life to us despite what we have done or will ever do. This is worth enough hallelujahs for our lifetime. And this we should remind ourselves of every single day. When you get up in the morning, remind yourself. In fact, preach the gospel to yourself. In just a minute or two, start your day with that reminder. Okay, so we know we are sinners saved by grace, by God's grace. We're justified before him due solely to his work and his unconditional love. And yet, Scripture seems to throw a few curveballs at us that might cause us to question that. Like, I've been coming across verses that speak of Christians receiving God's recompense for their works. Recompense. It's a, the, the, the Greek word misthos renders it as like wages or, or uh, payment for. And these verses all say that we will, we will appear before the judgment seat of Christ and give account for what we've done. We'll have all our deeds laid bare before him. And we will be judged for them. And we'll be rewarded based on how much our works are worth. So listen to these verses. Revelation twenty two twelve. This is Jesus speaking. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. 2 Corinthians 5, 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah, 40.10, prophesying, Behold, the Lord God comes with might, and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense before him. Or Jesus speaking in the Gospel of Matthew 16.27, he says, for the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. And so I ask, what is it? <laughs> Do we make it to heaven on our faith in Christ alone, as the Reformed teaching goes? Or do we have to have some measure of good works to make it? We obviously stand before Christ at some point. And we give a, an account, or our life is laid bare before him. So what is this all about? Why, why do we have to do that if Christ already paid for our sins? If he already promises no condemnation for those whose faith is in him? And then I would ask, like, what's this recompense? What this language about reward and, and repayment? Well, this morning we're going to look into... To that which every single person in every single culture in every single era of human history contemplates. In fact, I would say this dominates humanity's thinking, which is life after death. And specifically, that moment when we stand before God. 
when it's time to face him who knows us better than we know ourselves. Well, as you can imagine, there's good news, and I have good news for you this morning. Jesus Christ dealt with our sin at the cross to purchase eternal life for us. Amen. That's the good news. Romans 3, verses 23 through, Romans 3:23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. John 5.24 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but he has passed from death, death to life. Okay, so as we've established, God's gift to us is eternal life. It is secure, and he gives it to us in the form of faith in Christ's work. And even that faith, as we know, is a gift from God. So that is good news. The second part of that is more good news. That God is glorified in our works, which he then evaluates for rewards in heaven. So there's a distinction there. As I was studying through the the editors of the ESV Bible, they put it in in a very plain term. They, They say, although those who have believed in Jesus have already been justified by faith and will not face condemnation on the final day, God will still judge their works and reward them accordingly. Paul, the Apostle Paul, writing to the Christians in Corinth, keep in mind this is him writing to the church. These are already believers He tells them they each have a job to do, a role to play in spreading the gospel and and building God's church here on earth. And he writes, he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. That's in 1 Corinthians 8. And then Paul goes on to say that the foundation of the church has been established and will never change. And that foundation is Christ, is Jesus the Christ. But believers are to build on that foundation by their works. And it's these works that will face judgment. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 12 through 15, it's up on the, on the monitor. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Well, time doesn't permit me this morning to do an exhaustive take on Scripture's teaching on justification by faith and works, judgment of believers and unbelievers and such. But suffice to say that Scripture makes it clear that what we do as believers matters. Our deeds are evidence of our faith. Our faith is a gift from God. Therefore, our works reveal what we have done with this gift. And we'll be held accountable for every every little bit of it, every bit. 
true Christian believers, we won't be thrown into the fires of hell because of our works, uh, for our deeds, but they will be subject to a thorough and complete examination by God. And based on them, we will receive what is due us in heaven. And I might add more specifically, in the new heaven and the new earth. John MacArthur, a pastor, he emphasizes that salvation is not by a person's works, but that works are the inevitable result of true salvation. And I really like this this line that he has. The hidden root of faith must bring forth the visible fruit of good work or good works. And I would say this fruit is expected by Christ, for it brings glory to the Father and its evidence to the world of divine grace. Author Randy Alcorn, he wrote an excellent book called Heaven. If you've never read it, I highly encourage you to to get it. He says, belief determines our eternal destination. Behavior determines our eternal rewards. That's a good distinction. That's, That's easy. Belief, again, belief, that's our trust and our faith, determines our eternal destination. That's where we will spend eternity. But behavior, our obedience to God's commands, our works, our deeds, that determines what we will have and do there. There was a pastor at a large church in Dallas, Texas, who shared this story of an evangelist visiting their church, and he was speaking in their Sunday school hour. The evangelist said he had had a recent dream where he had been at the judgment seat of Christ. And he said that he was, as he was there, the time came for him to be judged, and, and an angel came out from the side, it was like on a platform, And angels began to pile up his works. And he said, kind of getting a little proud of himself, he said, you know, it was a rather gigantic pile. And he said, when they were all piled up, then an angel came out with a matchbox, struck a match, and put a match to it. (laughs) And the evangelist said, if you've ever seen a haystack burn, You have a pretty good impression of what I saw in my dream. He said it burned for a while, and then it sank. And it burned for a while, and it sank some more. And it burned again longer, and it sank. And finally, there was nothing there, apparently. And an angel came out with a little dustpan, and he swept up a few jewels, a little bit of gold, a little bit of silver, a little bit of precious stones, and that was all that was left. And the Texas pastor, he, he concluded, his dream seems so true to life. We have these magnificent impressions of the things that we have done. But when we stand at the judgment seat of Christ under the scrutiny of the judge, well, things may be quite a bit different. I like that story. So what are the works? What are, the, what are these works that are talked about? What are the works that earn rewards, the ones that build on on the foundation and survive the test of fire? We have three, three things I want to point out. The obedience to God's commands. We obey God's commands. 
He makes commands that are, that are not unreasonable of us. We are to obey them. We are to obey them with a pure heart or a pure motivation. It's one thing to go through the motions without the right attitude. We know what that looks like. Um, when I'm sweeping the floor, I may not have the right attitude. Um, but when we're going through this life, are we seeking to serve God for his glory? And then thirdly, are the things we do, do they in some way build up the church? These are our works that are talked about in scripture that we will be rewarded for. Do we share the gospel? Do we willingly let people know where we come from? Do we point people to scripture, to the truth of the Bible? Well, these are just, these are some examples of what works. I'm not going to give you an exhaustive list of everything. There's no way I could do that because all of our circumstances are different. But the works that God will reward generally fall into these categories. And so then on the flip side, what are the works that are unworthy of reward that will be burned up in the test of fire? Well, they're the opposite to that. They are works that bring glory to ourselves rather than to God. It's seeking, uh, the motive of seeking to puff myself up, to make me look good. It's, it's all about me. And then it's what's done purely for show, not to build up the church. And God gives us, Christ gives us an example in, in Matthew 6, 1. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And immediately following that, Jesus recounts how to, how to give to the needy, how to pray, how to forgive, how to fast. In all of those examples, we're to do it without seeking man's approval. We're to do it in secret. We're to do it out of the limelight. We're not to call attention to ourselves for doing that. That does not gain reward. So then I'd ask, well, what if you're just not sure how you're supposed to serve Christ? Uh, take heart. The Bible says, do all to the glory of God. Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And when the Bible says, whatever... Here it means whatever. <laughs> or maybe it would be better to say do everything. In other words, your time in school, your time in work, your time at play, your time in entertainment, all those facets of life, doing chores, sweeping the floor, there's a way to do that that brings glory to God, to do it without grumbling and complaining. And so if your motive is true, I guarantee you, God will give you those opportunities. And I will just share a, a personal example. As most of you know, my preferred form of exercise is distance running, which I'm sure most of you think is about as fun as slamming your thumb with a hammer. Uh, and in some respects, you might be right. But it feels so good when it's done. Um, anyway... 
having others, uh, having others you're accountable to makes it easier to, to do those long runs. And so a couple of years ago, I joined a running club. Uh, part of it was for the exercise, and part of it was just to be held accountable. And when I did that, I, I knew that there was going to be a whole new group of people that I was going to be meeting, and some of them would ought to hear the gospel or would, would need to hear the gospel, I assumed. And so I'd been with the club only a, only a few weeks, and one of the longtime club members passed away. And I didn't know him. I had not met him because he had been sick uh, during the time I joined. And so one of his good friends in the club, she was a friend of their family, and the family had asked her if she could help organize a, a memorial service. And so she, she came to one of our running club runs, and, and she asked us all if we could kind of help out and pitch in, you know, set up chairs and, and bring food and, and this and that. And then the last thing she asked, she says, and, and is there any way that, you know, one of you might be willing to share a, share a short message? Well, what an opportunity God had dropped into my lap. Uh, I didn't, again, I didn't know the man, but they needed help. The family didn't have anybody that they could turn to. They didn't really have a, church, a home church, and so they weren't sure where to turn. So I volunteered, and I didn't know him. I didn't. I had barely met most of these people, but here was an opportunity. I didn't know how many were Christians or not, but God knew. And so I got to share the gospel with about 100, about 100 people showed up, um, friends, family, people from a college that this man would teach at. All I know is I got a chance to share the gospel, uh, and somebody there probably needed to hear that. And... That was an opportunity. It was nerve-wracking. I didn't know anyone. Um, but it was an opportunity. And some months later, even a, another gentleman in the club, whom I didn't really know very well, he came over to me and started talking, and he was going through a divorce. Uh, he was separated from his wife and, and was having problems with the children, and it just it sparked a spiritual conversation that I would not have had otherwise. Um, so if your motive is pure, God will give you opportunity. I'm not saying my motive was pure, but when you seek to glorify God with your, 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 your day, your, the, the daily goings in your life, those opportunities will come your way. In the 1800s, there was a man named George Mueller. You might have read his biography. We actually have some paperbacks here with his biography. I encourage you to read it. It's very, very inspirational, but... He wanted to be a foreign missionary throughout most of his young adult life. He, he had come to Christ as a, as a young adult, and he had studied and prepared, and th this was the avenue he was sure he was to go on, the foreign missionary field. Uh, and yet, at home, he was in Bristol, England in the 1800s, and he kept having orphans. <laughs> children show up at his home and so he would open his door to these orphans to care for them and feed them and share the gospel and the more he loved on these poor urchins these street kids the more they came to him dozens of them were coming to him and so he started to fret that he wouldn't get out onto the missions field 
but they just kept coming and they kept coming and he ended up building orphanages in Bristol and around Bristol because there, were so, there was such a need there and they were sharing the gospel and while in his mind he was supposed to be in other places he heeded God's call where he was and God opened the opportunity for him to share God's love and the, and the gospel with more than 10,000 children. The, the ministry kept having to buy larger and larger places to house these kids. And they never, he never had to go into debt. He wouldn't buy one, in fact, until he had prayed and waited. And only then would they buy it? And God always provided and always supplied their needs. And so by being obedient to God's commands where he was in his hometown, George Mueller spread the gospel exponentially farther than he would have in his way of thinking. And yet God rewarded him even here on earth because after his wife died, um, he turned the orphanage ministry over and God opened the doors for him to travel uh, and preach in 42 different countries over 17 years. So he ended up in the, going across the world preaching the gospel, just not how he thought. Anyway, the, the idea is that when your heart is predisposed to wanting to serve God, he will bring you those opportunities. And those are the opportunities that he rewards us with. Christian, there's a Christian apologist and author. His name is J. Warner Wallace. And he points out that in the book of Daniel, chapter 12, verse 3, the prophet Daniel indicates something about how we can earn a reward. The passage describes those who are faithful to God during their lives and whose names are written in the book of life. And the verse reads, And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. And Wallace says that by using the word many, Daniel made a comparison to the possibility of leading few to righteousness. Hmm. So will some of us shine brighter in heaven for having shared that with more people? I don't know, but building on that thought, Paul writes to the believers in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus that is coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Wallace notes that Paul understood what Daniel taught hundreds of years before, that the greater your reward in heaven will be, will be, the, in measure to how you are serving. And one of those ways of serving is sharing the gospel with people. I'm not suggesting that the, the more people, that, like your rewards are based on the numbers that you share with. Again, it's your motive. It's your pure motive. Are you living out the gospel? Are you sharing it with every opportunity you can? So what are the rewards? What are the rewards? So I'm going to ask you a few questions as, as we, we come to a close here. What are the rewards? 
Well, primarily, well, first of all, the Bible doesn't give us too many specifics. I will tell you that. But the Bible gives us indications and, and clues. And we know that whatever God gives us, whatever God gives us, it will be perfect and fitting and joyous. Excuse me. It will be perfect, fitting, and, and, and joyous. So the primary reward we have is the fullness of joy in him. All of us believers will experience fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore, the psalm says, at God's right hand. You can't beat that. You cannot. The best thing is this is guaranteed to us by the Holy Spirit. We have this, it's a fact that we are rescued from eternal hell by God, despite our rebellion against him. We are given the gift of life through the sacrifice of God, and we will spend eternity face to face with God in his glorious grace. I will tell you, this will never be less than 100% fulfilling, peaceful, worshipful, astounding, awe-inspiring, and worth every hardship that we have in this life. It will never be less than that. The reward of being in his kingdom is so overwhelmingly grand that the Apostle Paul, who was tortured and shipwrecked, he said all those things are but a momentary light affliction compared to being with God. He says the glory to, to come is beyond all comparison. We cannot compare what's to come. There's nothing that we have here that compares with that. And I would say Paul speaks from personal knowledge because we're, we're told in Scripture that he was taken up to the third heaven. He was given a glimpse, and then he came back to, to earth. And upon his return, he had no way to describe the magnificence of what he saw using human words. He could not describe it. There was nothing in our language that enabled him to, to wrap the idea around it was so grand. I mean, the best he could do is later he called it a revelation of surpassing greatness. So that's our primary reward, and that should always be first. But in addition to that, Scripture tells us we will have roles and responsibility. Hey, responsibility. Doesn't everybody love to hear that? Well, it appears God enjoys rewarding his children <clears throat> with increased and, and, and valuable roles of responsibility. He, he told the apostles they would be, for example, judges over the 12 tribes of Israel. And in Matthew 25, verse 14, Jesus affirms the rest of us will also earn greater responsibilities because of our efforts on earth. So sometimes we see responsibilities as a burden. But in heaven, when we are reunited with the God who gives us every talent that we possess, his reward will be responsibilities that maximize our talents in such a way as to produce great joy. So we can't look at that the same way we look at the responsibilities that burden us here. Give an exa also example. He gives us a, a couple of parables too about 
about rewarding us. Parable of the five talents in the Gospel of Matthew. He illustrates what the kingdom of heaven is like, and he uses these parables. In the parable of the talents, a man leaves town, puts his servants in charge of his property while he's gone, and he gives one servant five talents. And a talent is just a, a, a chunk of money for, 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 uh, to, to give to them. And he gives another servant two talents, and another servant he gives one. It's a familiar story. The talent... The servant used five uh, to create more, and he doubled his amount. Same with the servant who was given two, but the servant who was given one did nothing with it, just buried it. And when the master came back, he commended the first two. And he said, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. But to the one who buried his talent, The master rebuked him. He took his one talent, and he gave it to one of the faithful servants. And he explained, to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And then in Luke is the parable of the minas. And it has some similar qualities. Jesus tells of a nobleman who goes to another country And he gives ten servants, each one mina. Mina was about three months' worth of of wages for a laborer. He tells them to engage in business, engage in business until his return. And when he returns, he finds the servants had done varying degrees of work with their wages. And then the noblemen rewarded them accordingly. To the one who makes ten more minas, he took his one and he made ten, The master says, because you've been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. To the one who makes five more minas, the master says he'll have authority over five cities. And to the one who hides his mina in a handkerchief and does nothing with it, the master takes away his mina and gives it to another. So there's an indication that what we do here matters. We are responsible for, for the gifts that God gives us. And he will reward us accordingly. Then there's one other type of reward that is spoken about in, in Scripture. It talks about crowns. There are several key passages in the New Testament. It refers to believers receiving crowns in heaven. There's 2 Timothy 4.8, if you're taking notes. James 1.12. 1 Peter 5.4. They refer to a crown of righteousness, a crown of life, and a crown of glory. Now, these may be different rewards, but most commentators believe they all refer to the same reward of eternal life. So some indications here of what specifically the rewards are. But we need to keep in mind, and and a pastor, theologian named Sam Storms, he He says, we must never be afraid that with the exposure and evaluation of our deeds, that regret and remorse will spoil the bliss of heaven. So keep in mind, what's the the gift of our time, eternity with God, is the primary reward. But it's also important, and it's commanded 
for us to, to generate heavenly rewards, to store up treasures in heaven. So another question, can we lose the reward? Can we lose the reward? Again, J. Warner Wallace, the, the apologist, he says yes. He says, while your salvation cannot be lost because it is not earned, your reward can, in fact, be forfeited. And he cites 2 John 4.10, particularly verses 8 and 9, where it says, Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full, full reward. And Wallace adds, John doesn't want any one of us to lose our full reward. He doesn't want us to get to heaven and receive only a portion of what could have been ours. If we begin to neglect the truth and stray from the life God has called us to, we can forfeit a portion of our reward. God promises us salvation as a free gift, but he clearly calls us to live a life that he can bless, both here on earth and in the life to come. So, last question. What do we do with this knowledge? What do we do with this knowledge? First thing, desire to please God more than yourself. Desire to please God more than yourself. 2 Corinthians 5.9 says to do just that. It says, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Our desire to please him leads to great rewards. But the desire must be genuine. It must be a fruit of the Spirit. Secondly, Desire to glorify God more than self. Glorify God more than self. Jesus says in Matthew 6, When you give to the needy, do it in secret or without blowing your own horn. And he says, And when you pray, don't do it to show others how holy you are or to make a big show of it. People who seek the praise of other people have received their reward now, they forfeit it later. And then he also says, when you fast, don't look gloomy. Don't brag about it to impress other people, but do it in secret. Don't bring attention to yourself for it. In these ways, Jesus says, your father who sees in secret will reward you. And the flip side of that is practicing righteousness to be seen and lauded by others does not glorify God, but it glorifies self. So desire to glorify God, not self. And then thirdly, desire to point others to God more than self. Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25 says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is where God is glorified. And this is where you and I are both satisfied and sanctified. Grow closer with God. These are not worldly treasures. God says those are burned up. The illustration of the haystack burning. Those are burned up. Now they might not be bad. It's not wrong to 
spend time, if, 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 if I go to the store or I go on a run, that, that time is not wrong, it's not evil, but that doesn't earn heavenly rewards. That's not rewards. The rewards God talks about are those things that bring him glory and honor. The real treasures in this life are loving God so much that we can't help pour out that love on other people, which in turn motivates them to seek God and to do good works as well. This is true happiness. This is our calling. This is God's desire. And this is what makes God happy when we build on the one foundation of the church, which is Jesus the Christ. As the worship team comes up and Landon prepares for a pastor's prayer, would you please bow your head, close your eyes, consider the great truth of salvation, that God did the work to bring us eternal life, and he also blesses us with the capacity to work for his glory. This should cause our gratitude to overflow with God's unfathomable mercy and grace. When you want to thank someone, you go out of your way to do it. Go out of your way this week in thanking God by blessing him with your good works, not to earn eternal life, but to honor him who is eager to reward. We hope you have enjoyed this week's message. We encourage you to share it with others. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at info at orangevilla.org. Be sure and join us for next week's message by subscribing to this podcast. To learn more about our ministry, submit prayer requests, or to find ways you can help hear the gospel, visit us online at orangevilla.org. Till next time, we hope the grace and peace of God's love be ever present in your life.